You're listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com. So if you have a Bible, we're going to kind of go a few places, but we're going to start in Matthew chapter 12, and I'll give you a, a minute or two to get there. And we're praying that the power holds out. I know uh, there's a few people that couldn't join us because the power outage, but anyway, the Lord is certainly sovereign over that. I wanted to, well, let me start by saying this. When we decided to do the Zoom, someone who I very much respect their uh, their theological opinions and and whatnot uh, asked me, "Well, you know, what do you want to what do you want to speak on Sunday?" And they suggested, "Jeff, why don't you speak about the end times? You know, with all the craziness going on in the world, no two ways about it. We are getting closer, uh, and it's just I think it's evident to everyone." that that time that we read about in Revelation or even Thessalonians, as far as the rapture, the tribulation, uh, the, the, the new heaven and the new earth and all that, I love that subject. Don't get me wrong. But listen, let me ask you, what is one thing that we can't do when we're in heaven? Evangelize. We cannot evangelize. And so I want to speak on the spirit because I think being filled with the spirit is by far the best evangelistic tool there is. It attracts people every every walk of life. You don't even have to speak the same language. If someone is filled with the spirit, there's a natural attraction. So I wanted to start off with just maybe if anyone has questions about the Holy Spirit, but let me whet our appetites with a question that if I had a dollar for every time the subject was bought was brought up, I'd be able to buy you a very nice dinner. Let me put it like that. And that's Matthew 12. If you're in Matthew 12, we're going to read verses 30 through 32. And I have, boy, I've got the question about Jeff, how would I know if I had committed the unforgivable sin? Jesus talks about blasphemy in the spirit. I just want to touch on that real quick because I'm hoping to kind of push this, push this down the road so it will not be a question to anyone anymore. I mean, good-hearted questions for sure. Don't get me wrong. But I want to bring a little clarity to that, and then we're going to get into some other aspects. So let me read verses 30 through 32, it says this. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. He says, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So, I mean, obviously, those are some pretty chilling words. Wait a minute. There's something we can do where there's no forgiveness in this age or the age to come. If that doesn't get your, you know, get, get your attention Boy, you're, you're not paying attention because that is, that's some pretty serious stuff. 
So let's kind of break it down. Let's break it down a little bit. Notice the, I guess, the, the picture that Jesus is painting for us here. Notice what he says about the scattering. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. What Jesus is saying in no uncertain terms is that there are only two positions you can have regarding your relationship to Jesus. Only two. That's the only, there, there is no third position. You are either for him as far as gathering or you're against him. You're scattering. There's no neutral position. A lot of people say, well, you know, there's people that just pay no attention to Jesus and they're doing their own thing. That is not a neutral position. It is, we're either actively working with Jesus, gathering, as the Lord says, or we have active opposition to him, or even a casual disregard. Believe it or not, the Lord is saying that a casual disregard for him and his word is being against him. I know that sounds harsh. That is what the Lord is saying, and, and you can take that to the bank. So what about this unforgivable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Um, I think we need to just look at a few things or take a few things into consideration before we dive into that. I want to say, let me point out a few theological facts. What I like to do when we have a tough question, I like to frame it with facts that we know to be true 100%. And then we get into the question based off what we know to be true, and it brings some clarity to it. So theologically, you know, the big picture here is not that the Holy Spirit is somehow different or holier than God, the Father, or Jesus, the Son, the other two persons of the Trinity. Jesus is not saying intrinsically that there's something about the Holy Spirit that is different than the Father or the Son in that way that you say something in the Spirit. There's nothing about the identity of the Holy Spirit that sets him apart that's saying, oh, you're not allowed to blaspheme or talk against the Holy Spirit. That's not what Jesus is saying here. And again, let's look at this theologically. And you feel free to jump in anytime and say, hey, Jeff, you're on a roll, bro. Say, hey, Jeff, you're wrong. <laughs> that, that, that's just not found in the Bible anywhere. Or uh, any of you, please feel free to stop. And if you've got a question, Pastor Rick would be able to answer yeah. it. I guarantee you that. I guarantee you that. But uh, since, okay, the spirit of the Son. Jesus is in the spirit of the Father, the Father God, there's sort of a, a completion or a wholeness in the third person of the Trinity. Uh, the some, some of the old King James say the Holy Ghost. You sense this, this wholeness with the spirit. It's the three-in-one, the, the, the triune God is represented in the spirit. And let me say this, when the Spirit enters your life, I think you'll be able to relate to me. There was a completion, wasn't there? When the Holy Spirit enters your life, there's a feeling like you've never had before. There is this wholeness. It's the Spirit of the Father. It's the Spirit of the Son combined in the filling of the Spirit. Secondly, theologically, we know this from John 
1526. What was the main ministry of the Holy Spirit? Does anyone know what the main ministry of the Holy Spirit was? No? I bet you do. I bet you're just shy to say. Um, the main ministry of the Holy Spirit. What's that? That's me. Sorry, I, would, I unmuted to say everybody's muted. <laughs> oh, well, can you unmute everyone? Yes, I, I can, yes. Asking, asking you guys to unmute. Hey, you guys, if you can unmute, if you'd like to participate, please. I didn't know you were all muted. <laughs> I mean, there I, we are. We've been there all sharing are. our opinions and, yeah. and you didn't hear them. I don't, I'm not going to voice an opinion. So let me ask you, let, let me just pose this one quick question real quick. It's not a trick question. But what was the main minister, what is still, what was and what is the main ministry of the Holy Spirit? Your helper. Testify. Who said testify? I did. Dr. T. Yes, it's the testify of the Son in no uncertain terms. We read in John 15, 26, Jesus saying, when the counselor comes, that's the Holy Spirit, when the counselor comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the spirit of truth who keeps going out from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. He will testify on my behalf. So keep that in the back part of your brain as we think about this blasphemy of the spirit and why Jesus said that is unforgivable. Thirdly, let's think about what, I mean, Jesus when his disciples were freaking out, do you remember when Jesus told disciples, hey, I've got to go? They're like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? All is lost. They were totally out of sorts. They were flat mm -hmm. out. How did Jesus comfort them? He comforted them by saying this in John 16, 7, unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. A lot of your translations will say the comforter, and that's exactly what it is. Jesus is saying, wait a minute, unless I go away, the comforter cannot come to you. And you guys all know this, but I'm going to state the obvious. When Jesus walked the earth, he was not omnipresent. He was at one place at one time when he walked the earth. When he left and sent the Spirit, the Spirit is omnipresent, Jesus Father, Son, Holy Spirit in one is omnipresent with us, dwelling with us. This should be incredibly comforting. And it was the disciples. They get it later. It took them a while, but they absolutely got it. Um, so, and if any of you have questions, feel free, feel free to ask. So let me say this, at least as I see it. So there was this kind of perfection or fulfillment in the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus was communicating. Uh, and I, I really think it, it's pretty safe to say that Jesus was pointing to this finality or fulfillment, if you will, of the Spirit. But he's also indicating there is a way for us, for them to put that off. Um, sort of you know, you, you, you can take the spirit and you can put him off in a final matter. And that's what he's talking about. There's a certain finality to it. So let me say this. I'll cut to the chase and we'll keep moving. And I think you're, you guys are probably already there. 
the safest way to interpret this passage, the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, this sin that you cannot repent for, it is not an event. It is not an event. It's not something you can picture. Not at all. Um, it's it's not like you say, oh my gosh, last Sunday, I'm I'm a little concerned. I blaspheme this, I blaspheme the spirit. To blaspheme the spirit, it is not episodic. It is not episodic. You don't just do it. It is, it is something hmm. that is progressive. It is something that unfortunately is final, but there's not one point in time that you do that. Do you guys remember, and this was sad, uh, a, a year or so ago, I remember hearing about these kids. They went on YouTube, and it was it was so sad. They videoed themselves blaspheming the Spirit to say, I am cutting, I am cutting all connection with Christ. It was this, it was this public deconversion, if you will. Incredibly sad. So they they went on YouTube recorded themselves blaspheming the spirit it was it it was very very sad and they they posted it so forever they would you know set that in memoriam that they had blaspheming the spirit well let me say this guys that's tremendously sad no two ways that's tremendously sad but they did not succeed on shutting the door on god can i say that they did not succeed in shutting the door on God. That door to forgiveness is still open because that's not what blaspheming the Spirit is. See, to reject the Holy Spirit, it would take a life of hardness to Jesus. It would take a life of hardness to his word, a complete rejection. Basically, the unforgivable sin is to never accept Jesus as your Savior. That is the only unforgivable sin, to never accept Jesus as your Savior. As your Savior. So let me say this, dear friends. If you have the slightest worry or inkling that you've committed an unforgivable sin, you haven't. That is proof right there. So rest easy. Rest easy. Um, yeah, I, I, I just... It's 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 something that that I I get the question and, and I really have a lot of compassion to those that are concerned. But if you're concerned, you have not committed that. Let me ask any questions before we move on. Are you any comments, Rick? Anything? Well, I, I don't want us to be tripped up by this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's for sure. <laughs> I think you know, there's sort of a, a sense of sometimes over trying. Bible sometimes calls that striving. Yes. You don't want to be tripped up by you know, this quote-unquote unforgivable sin. I think there's a couple reasons why Jesus definitely taught it. I think one is related to things we're talking about. Secondly, another is, in some ways, it's an explanation of why there's no forgiveness for the evil one. Mm. Because mm. he was able to witness God's Good. glory and uh, and view it and That's want good. it for it and, and, and really reject it. And so somehow there's some deeper connection with seeing God's glory and, uh, and and going on a lifestyle of rejecting it. That's good. And it's not for us, I just want to encourage you, but it's not for us to be tripped up. If you're on the Zoom call, if you want to pursue the Lord, you know, then I would just tell you that you don't need to worry uh, about that, you know. And uh, and God desires every single person to come to 
his love and knowledge, he desires, uh, you know, all to come to faith and everyone to come to repentance. Mm -hmm. And so um, mm -hmm. we don't need to be parented about it, but it does come up from time to time yes, for both of us. Yeah. Yes, it does. Well said. Well said. Before we turn a little corner, does anyone have any uh, question, comment, concern? Um, yeah. What must I do to be saved? <laughs> I love that, Phil. Phil just said, what must I do to be saved? Oh, yeah. Teeing it up for us. Hey, Dr. Danson, what would you say if someone walked up to you on church uh, Sunday morning and said, what must I do to be saved? What would you, Dr. Danson, tell them? I take him to Romans 10, 9, which says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that is Lord of your life, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And the only way that Jesus can be Lord of anyone's life is for them to make that U-turn away from everything that they know to be evil. Hmm. So that repentance is part and parcel of lordship. And then to declare in no uncertain terms that Jesus is indeed Lord of your life. Hmm. So that, that, that literally means turning your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ to give him the steering wheel of your life. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is that that so many people in America, well over 80%, already believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And so with, with the declaration from a person's mouth, Lord Jesus, you're Lord of my life. I give my life to you. And with that, that, that baseline belief that Jesus rose from the dead, there it is. There, uh, according to Romans... <clears throat> 10, 9, saved, and then God seals what takes place by sending the Holy Spirit to dwell within that individual. They are sealed for salvation. Yes, yes. As, as Acts 5.32 <laughs> says, and we are witnesses of these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit who God gives to those who obey him. That's such a great answer, Dr. D. Yes and amen. <laughs> and uh, you're actually teeing it up quite perfectly for what I'm going to go into with the Holy Spirit here. Um, let me just say, and this is a little aside, as, as Dr. Danson was speaking, he shared this, I believe it was last Monday in a staff meeting. I just want, I thought it was, it was perfect. And I just want all you to be aware of this. Dr. D was talking to someone that was enjoying the worship and the preaching of Pastor Rick and he said something to the effect to Dr. Danson that, wow, this, this is really great. You know, I think I'm, I'm not a Christian yet, but I'm almost ready to become a Christian. You know, something to this effect. And I thought, gosh. I got it. It's, it's going to be. It, it was such a wake-up call to me because of the fact that I think I come to church most every Sunday thinking, oh, everyone knows the Lord here. Everyone is kind of where, <laughs> and it's not the case. It's we will have a chance if we look for it on Sunday to witness to folks. And so it's just a nice wake up call. And I think, again, it's another good transition to what I'm going to teach on the spirit here. So, again, I'm going to shift gears and I'm, I'd like to turn our attention to probably where most of us are today. 
are there ways to enhance or hurt our connection with the third person of the Trinity? And the Bible says emphatically, yes. In fact, uh, you know, when, when it comes to our friendship with God, the Holy Spirit, his role, as someone mentioned earlier correctly, his role is to comfort us in times of trouble to have that fulfilling relationship. You know, you feel that connection with God. But can I say this, dear friends? It is a two-way street. It is a two-way street. God is a gentleman, and we have our part in that. I'll say this. When it comes to a healthy God-honoring relationship with the Holy Spirit, where we do feel that comfort and that connectedness, the Bible gives us some examples, but it's interesting. The Bible talks more about what not to do. And it's sort of this, it, it, it's from the negative side. When we don't do these things, our connection with the Holy Spirit is enhanced. So I'd like to mention three things if we can, and I'll, I'll do this pretty quick. But at any time you have a question about any of this, jump in. The first thing, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Any of you familiar with that term, do not grieve the Holy Spirit? In the book of Ephesians, Paul says in Ephesians 4.30, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Again, I want to approach this so we get sort of a correct theological explanation or description of this word, Grieve. We got to be careful, actually, how we look at this. I want to understand what Paul is saying here, and I'm sure you do too. So let's just take it face value. When I think of the word grieve, and I'm sure you're the same way, Rick, we think of being sad, don't we? We, we think of being sad. So it's kind of in our minds, we think Paul is saying or telling us, don't make the Holy Spirit sad. Don't make the Holy Spirit sad. So again, theologically, there, there's this sense, 100%, in which it's impossible for us or anything to cause God to be sorrowful. And I know that'll rock some of your world, but here's the deal. Because God is divine and lacking in nothing, he cannot be robbed of his happiness or his joy. It's, it's a theological impossibility. He is in no way influenced or disappointed by our actions, for that would imply a sense of weakness and changeability. See, one of God's most important attributes is it's called immutability. God doesn't change, meaning he cannot change. And that's a whole nother study we can get into. And uh, A.W. Tozer does a magnificent job of, of describing God's attributes in Knowledge of the Holy but let's just say that, yeah, that is theologically true. God cannot be robbed of his happiness or joy. You know, simply put, you know, we don't have the power to make the Holy Spirit sad. Okay, well, Jeff, if that's true, then what is Paul warning us against? If that's true, then what the heck is he saying? Is Paul <laughs> warning us not to do something that's impossible? No. This is why I want to get this one boundary set so we can see what is Paul talking about here. So on one hand, we know that the Spirit loves us, 
and he, and he wants the best for us. No two ways about that. He cares deeply for us. It, it's like a tender and kind friend for sure. There is that humanity for sure. He loves us. So just like any good friend, he's not pleased when we make foolish choices. He's not pleased at all or we engage in self-destructive behavior. When we make uh, we make these kind of choices, it's behavior, it's the exact opposite of what he wants for us. And on the other hand, we know, we know from the book of Ephesians that what Paul is getting at by grieving in the spirit, it has to be related to the spirit's job or work of making us holy. And all the word holy means is setting us apart. That is a major work of the Holy Spirit. So we know it has to do with those two things. So we kind of come to this place where grieving the Spirit would have something to do with putting off certain sinful behaviors that characterized our lives before we knew Christ. And quite honestly, putting on these new actions and choices that are consistent with the new spiritual life. So grieving has to do with putting off and putting on. So in the context, grieving the Holy Spirit isn't making him sad, uh, but we grieve him by living a life that's devoted to something other than holiness. Or like I'll say, I like to say, devoted to something other than being set apart for God and his work. That's what the Spirit desires for us, and we grieve Him when we're doing something other than that. Let me say this, and here's the positive side to it, and I love, I love how Paul frames this up. So when we take time to ponder and really think about and embrace the love and the kindness of the Spirit, and when those when when those considerations influence our motives to avoid sin and walk in holiness, oh, it's at that exact point where we are enjoying fellowship and friendship with God. When our motives are, the trajectory of our motives come about by our recognition of the love and the kindness we are at that exact second enjoying fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So, and the opposite is when we fail to recognize, when we fail to notice and embrace the care and the love that the Holy Spirit has for us, guess what? We lose the power and the joy that the Holy Spirit wants us to have. Before I go on from that, a lot of people talk about the power of the Spirit. Yes and amen. I love that. We lose that when we fail to recognize or cut off our ability to embrace the love, the love and the caring and the relationship that the Holy Spirit has for us. At that mm -hmm. second, we cut it off. So just think about that. Just, just mm -hmm. think about that as, as we go off, you know, through, through our Sunday. Um, and, and I'll say this, this, this is another byproduct. When we, uh, you know, when his kindness and his love and his comfort mean little to us 
I'm going to tell you this, obedience will either be a total burden or we'll avoid it altogether. If we're not motivated by love and, and this connection with God to be obedient to him, will become a burden. You will step into a works relationship with the Lord. And, yeah, exactly. And you'll probably just avoid it altogether. Believe me, I have grieved the spirit and we can act a good act. We can all come to church dressed in our clothes and say, hey, brother, how are you doing? We can speak the Christian stuff. But if we're not filled with that, oh, my God, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord. I, I, I there, There's no words for me to express my feelings and recognize your abundance. When we're motivated like that, we are communing with the Holy Spirit. And guess what? People see it. People absolutely see it. Um, any comments before I move on to my next point? Well, I want to just interject a couple of things for us. Uh, you're doing a great job here. And I think what, what I notice uh, about most of us is that this the idea that God is a person, which he is. Mm. He is actually a person. And he's not like us. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yes. But he is a person. So one of the unique things about Christianity, you know, very different, and you can kind of go through the isms or you know, very different than Islam, very different than Mormonism, very different than Buddhism, Hinduism, is that we're talking about a, a God who wants to relate with us personally and wants to relate with us corporately. Yes. So uh, the Holy Spirit, God is spirit. This is the spirit of God placed inside us for our spirits. He saves our soul and he's going to fill us and minister us in our spirit. And so the personal nature of that, while so sweet and enduring and everything that we would just ever hope for, is also one of the things that sometimes can trip people up a little bit because it's so real. Yeah. You know, it's really, really real. And he wants to minister inside us. And so that's personal nature of God is, is evidence in this uh, concept that Paul is teaching here called grieving the Holy Spirit. Yes. And so we do ourselves well to consider you know, okay, well, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And really the beginning of not grieving the Holy Spirit is just telling God, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Mm. It's really, that is just a really foundation and beginning. And we even talk sometimes in church leadership as we're, you know, interacting with decisions. Well, this one was one, you know, going on Zoom. Yeah. And we're, you know, yeah. part of our conversation is, okay, we're going to make this, you know, leadership decision here. And we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Yes. So God guide us, you know, and you... You and I were texting back and forth. I was at home, just really waiting on the Lord, just sort of saying, "Okay, Lord, what you know? How do you want to? How do you want to handle this this decision over this next twenty four hours?" And actually, I was privately asking Him for guidance, and then came, you know, and I, and in that guidance was, "I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit." And then came confirmation after confirmation, yes. you know, that all of a sudden, oh wow, this is this is really where we're at, yes. and it really turned out to be true. Yeah, have tree limbs falling yeah. all over the place. Yeah. But I want you to understand that the grieving of the Holy Spirit is because God is actually, he loves you that much. And because he's that intimate and personal with you. And because he wants to interact with you for the purpose of loving you and guiding you and blessing your life. Yeah, that's that's an excellent point. And those are the kind of things that we need to real time recognize. You're exactly right, Rick. That's exactly what we're trying to please the Holy Spirit and walk with him. 
in a simple decision, do we meet in person or not? You're 100% correct. Um, real quickly, I just want to cover a couple other things. You know, the Bible also speaks of quenching the spirit. I know you're familiar with that. I just want to explain there's a difference between grieving and quenching. Um, you know, grieving the Holy Spirit has to do with, with how we treat and respect the spirit. It's kind of uh, something that, that we do in conjunction with the spirit. But if you look where Paul used the word quench, it has to do with the works of the spirit and us stopping or stifling or ignoring the activity of the spirit. Quenching the spirit is ignoring his work in our life. It's stopping or stifling that Holy Spirit thing that he wants to do in all of us. So think of all the ways that the spirit works. And this is generic for everybody. How, how does he work in our life? What are the things he does? Well, he strives to produce the fruit of the spirit in our life, doesn't he? Galatians 5.22 about, you know, he wants to produce love and joy and peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's a fruit of the Spirit. He is striving to, to have us recognize that and bear that fruit. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. How about God's love? In Romans 5.5, 5, it says that the Spirit, the Spirit convinces us, us of God's love. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says that the Spirit empowers us to build His church. Oh, that's just so wonderful. So the Spirit stirs up this grace, this work of the Spirit in our lives. And all of this work that the Spirit does in our lives, it's kind of like this burning fire. And it's in our souls, and He wants to continue that. But again, God's a gentleman. He will allow us to ignore that work of the Spirit, and that is quenching the Spirit. Real simple way to remember quenching the Spirit I like the picture of it's like throwing a soaking wet log on a fire, right? We want to stoke the fire, not put a wet log. So when we discount or ignore the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, the giftings he's given us. I got, got, I got news, guys. He has gifted all of you. You each have a gifting of the Spirit, but you can ignore it, and that is a shame. You are quenching the work of the Spirit when you ignore the giftings, special, unique to all of us that he gives us, you're quenching the spirit. And again, I, I know we're we're kind of running low on time, so I'll make it quick. But you put a wet log on a fire. It doesn't put the fire out, but it decreases the heat. It, it, it puts sort of a damper on it. That's exactly what you do. You are taking power out of your life when you ignore or discount the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember right. that. Uh, and, and some of you guys, you'll immediately think of, of, of 2 Timothy 1.6, where Paul's talking to Timothy, he says, fan into flame, fan into flame the gift of God through the Holy Spirit. And I got news, guys, every Sunday, we should be fanning each other to flame. We should be recognizing the gifts. I recognize the gifts. You guys out there, there's certain people I think of, and I think of a particular giftedness. I'm telling you, Rick has gifts that I will never have. And God meant it like that. We are to come together, use our gifts together. It is a complete package when we come together and do that. 
and it pleases God. It's like a pleasing aroma rising up to the Lord. And lastly, I just want to touch on this real quick, real quick. Um, have you read in the Bible where it says, do not resist the Holy Spirit? This is a little different. Resisting the Holy Spirit has to do with the Spirit working through God's or pastor's preaching and teaching. To resist the Holy Spirit means that you're resisting His Word coming to you. It, it means that, that we're in the presence of, of godly teaching. We're to be aware. We're to be paying attention to the preaching of the Word. In Acts 7, Stephen condemned the Pharisees or those, those folks that were listening to him, he said this, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Stephen says, you always resist the Holy Spirit. That's because the Pharisees would not listen or believe the teaching of Jesus. They had Jesus right there. They were resisting the Holy Spirit by not listening to the teaching of Jesus. So the Spirit's work is so closely tied up with the proclamation of the Word of God uh, that, that there's an inherent power. And even right now, guys, you are receiving something. There's a power that's entering you through the Holy Spirit when God's Word is proclaimed. You remember that Luke told us that Stephen's opponents, remember Stephen, everything he went through, it's, uh, it's Acts, Acts chapter 7, read about it. Luke says this, Stephen's opponents could not get the best of him because of the wisdom given to him by the Spirit to speak and proclaim the Word of God. There is a physical and spiritual power that comes on those that proclaim and preach the Word of God, and that's for the edification of everyone. But you can say, no, I don't want to hear that, or you can be on your cell phone when the Word of God is being preached. What you're doing is you're resisting the Holy Spirit at that particular time. I want to, um, I'm, I'm going to let Rick close us in a second, but I jotted down just a couple notes that I want to read before uh, I, I give it to Rick to close down. And it has to do with us receiving the Word of God, receiving the Spirit, not quenching, grieving, or resisting Him. I said, I'm just going to read it like I said. I said, the prophets and apostles are no longer with us, but we have their words written down for us, and they are every bit as authoritative today as they were when they were first written or spoken. In our times, the work of the Spirit is in part to empower pastors and teachers, Bible study leaders, and small group leaders to proclaim the word that he has inspired for the benefit of the building up of the church, for the building up of believers. This means that one of the key ways we can live out a relationship with the Holy Spirit is to listen humbly and reverently to the word that's preached every week, week in and week out by the Spirit-empowered pastors, preachers, and teachers, Bible study leaders, small group leaders, that he lets us or puts us in that environment. Every week we're to receive that. When we're attentive to, or excuse me, I'll say if if to the opposite, when we're inattentive, inattentive, or disinterested, or critical of the Bible at, at is at when it's being preached, we're resisting. We're resisting the Spirit. But when we give due honor to the preaching of His Word, we're communing with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, so in a nutshell, that's what I'm after here for us to recognize this and to take full advantage of every opportunity we have either to be taught or to teach or to walk with the filling of the spirit. And bro, I'm really tired of my own voice right now. <laughs> you're really tired of my own you're voice right great. now. You're doing, you're doing great. I'll just jump in by sharing a few thoughts. The beginning of a miraculous life. I want you to think about that. The beginning of a miraculous life with Jesus is to say yes to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yes. The, <clears throat> the ongoing nature of a miraculous mm. life is to continue to say yes to the Holy Spirit. Yes. And so the scripture in, in using these, these very pointed phrases, you know, do not... Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not resist the Holy Spirit. Is using that side of the street and that language to help us understand that we want to lead a miraculous life. We want yes. a miraculous church. We want to see supernatural yes. activity and power cultivated inside us. We want to be part of that miraculous journey. So God invites us to say yes to the Holy Spirit. And so the beauty of that is it can take place wherever you're at and to nurture that as a spiritual discipline, yes. as a spiritual habit. Thanks for listening to the Ranch Church podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com.